One of the things that God disliked most about the Pharisees is that they were great pretenders. Jesus called them hypocrites. They were like spiritual chameleons changing colors according to their surroundings. They would say one thing and do another. They would keep the law and break the spirit of the law. They would pray on street corners to be praised for praying, but then refuse to be the helping hand by which their prayers might be answered. They would preach humility and practice arrogance. They would favor their friends and take advantage of the people with whom they had no friendly relationship. Jesus had them pegged right. They were pretenders, imposters, fakers, hypocrites. Unfortunately, there are many Pharisaic Christians in our churches today. Members who play church pretending to be holy but show little love for God, less regard for the church, and no respect for the things that are sacred and holy. And what is even worse and more disturbing to me about all of this is that too many so-called upstanding, church-going, God-fearing, Bible-toting Christians say and do absolutely nothing about it, but let them get away with it, as if this is the way that it ought to be. Well, just in case some Pharisees might have accidentally found their way to New Providence this morning, I want to preach to you from the subject going to church or being the church. Going to church or being the church. Take talking about Christ or living like Christians. Advertising a product or peddling the product you advertise. I'm going to talk about being real, being genuine, being honest, being authentic, being upfront, practicing what you preach. For more than 162 years now, you have been represented as a church. You have stood as a beacon shining on this hill and respected in this community as a people of God. Now, my question to you is, how many of those years have you functioned as a church? There's no doubting the fact that God already knows who you are, where you are, what you are, why you are, and how you are. And it won't take people long to find out. The story is told of a man who had a truck farm and he would come to town from the country every Saturday to sell his produce. He had a son that wasn't very bright. And so he told his boy, I want you to stay in the wagon, keep your mouth shut, don't say anything to anybody, 
and they may not find out that you're stupid. <laughs> and his dad had to go away for something, and he walked away from the wagon. And while he was gone, a lady came up and said, son, how much of these cabbage? And the little boy didn't say anything. He said, what do you get for these turnips? He didn't say anything. He said, what's the price of these sweet potatoes? The little boy didn't open his mouth. She said, oh, this boy must be crazy. He said, come on, Daddy, they done found out. <laughs> you don't have to say anything, and you don't have to do very much in order for people to find out how you are. It is not uncommon in these times to hear people who go to church say things like, we sure did have a good time today. Didn't we really have church today? We sure enough had church up in here today. I got my praise on. I got my shout in. I made the devil ashamed. All of this sounds good. Some of it may even be good. But one of the major concerns I have about the church today is what happens to the church when church folk leave the church house? What happens to the church when church folk leave the church house? God did not call or commission us to go to church. He commanded us to be the church. Many sincere, Christian-hearted, church-going people do not realize that while praise and worship are vital parts of the Christian spiritual life, Christian work is also a part of the Christian's obligation. The same God who said praise God in the sanctuary also said serve the Lord with gladness. Same God who said let everything that hath breath praise the Lord also said feed the hungry, clothe the naked, give water to the thirsty, comfort to the widow, care for the sick, and visit those who are in prison. The same God who said, come unto me all ye who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Also said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. The same Bible which says in the time of trouble he shall hide you in his pavilion. Also says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations. The same God who said, no man shall be able to pluck them out of my hand also said, I send you forth as lambs in the midst of wolves. Listen, the same God who said, my house shall be a house of prayer, also said, bring ye the tithe into my storehouse. The same God. You can't have one without the other. Not this without that. Not praise without worship. Not worship without work. If you love God in the church, you must serve God after church. What happens 
to the church when church folk leave the church house. I suspect that whatever happens to the church when church folk leave the church house is the same thing that had already happened before they got there. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They had confused going to church or having church with being the church or living the church. Now, going to church or going to the church house is simply gathering at a place where we can have church together. Having church is celebrating Christ in our lives and sharing our love for one another. This is all good and necessary and should help to unify, equip, fortify, and empower us to be the church. Being the church is acting as instruments which God has fashioned, Christ has commissioned, and the Holy Spirit has empowered to serve God's kingdom at worship and at work, both inside the church and in the world outside the church. Let me ask you a question, for which I'd like for each of you in your own heart to give me a true, complete, and honest answer. What is the church? There have been many attempts to define the word church, but all of them individually have fallen short of being able to tell us exactly what the church is. And this is true because the church has so many aspects, facets, attributes, or components that no single simple definition is capable of capturing all of its character. Let me try to define the church by separating its many parts and functions from each other and then defining the church as a whole. Give me a few moments. Structurally, the church may be a building or a location or a place where people gather for the religious purpose of worshiping and praising God or planning and promoting activities relating to or prescribed by God. Most of these buildings or locations can be identified by their architecture. They look like churches. We pass many of them often, and we seldom mistake them for anything else. We know that structurally, this or that is a church and not something else. When you ride down this road and turn and look at New Providence, you know this is a church. But that is not all that church is. Functionally, the church is ministry. It may be the ministry of praise, the ministry of worship, the ministry of prayer, the ministry of music, the ministry of dance, the ministry of evangelism, the ministry of service, the ministry of healing, helping, or any combination of these or other similar or related ministries. It may be any of the ministry activities of the church used by the church for saving 
serving or helping people. But this is not all the church is. Organizationally, the church is people. The Christian church is made up of all of the people everywhere who've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal savior. For convenience, the word church has been broken down into smaller parts such as conventions, associations, congregations, auxiliaries, committees, ministries, and or individuals. Now all of these individuals, ministries, communities, auxiliaries, congregations, associations, and conventions together make up the organizational church. Now, how would I define the church? The Christian church is the people of God throughout the world who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, but who are sometimes assembled in smaller congregations, bodies, or groups, worshiping and praising God and planning, promoting, and doing God's Christian work in the church and in the world outside the church. The scripture that was read in your hearing is an excellent example. In the book of Acts, chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, Peter and John, members of the organizational church, are on their way to the temple, which is the structural church, to participate in and perform certain aspects of the functional church. In this case, praise and worship at the hour of prayer. On the way to the structural church, the organizational church is called upon to become the functional church. Lord have mercy. So they are on the way to the church in one sense when they are challenged as the church in another sense to become the church in yet another sense. Lord have mercy. Our problem today too often is that we are so fixed on getting to the structural church so that we can perform the rituals of the organizational church that we miss the opportunity to serve as the functional church. Consequently, as contradictorily as it sounds, we miss church on the way to church. Lord have mercy. God sometimes places the church in our way and we stumble all over it trying to get somewhere to the fixed church. So Peter and John meet this man at the gate just outside the church. The man is lame. He's been lame from birth, therefore he's never been able to walk. He cannot care for himself, so people bring him daily and lay him at the gate. We do not know whether he was brought by believers or by non-believers. But he's brought to believers for help. These difficult challenges 
confront us daily as Christians and not always in the church. I remember Pastor Wood when I was pastor of the United Metropolitan Baptist Church of Winston-Salem. I lived in a parsonage right next door to the church, and right after church one Sunday, I went home, sat down, and got ready to eat my dinner. And just as my wife served dinner on the table, the doorbell rang. And I got up, and I went to the door, and there was a disheveled man, obviously inebriated. He smelled bad. He looked bad. But he said to me, Mr., I'm hungry. I haven't had anything to eat for days, and I'm stranded. I'm trying to get to Salisbury to see my ailing mother who is at the point of death, and I don't have enough for a bus ticket. If you could give me just enough money for a meal and a bus ticket, I would appreciate it. I said, sir, you're in luck. I said, we're just getting ready to eat. Why don't you just come on in? And sit down and eat with her. No, sir, I don't want to cause you any trouble. I said, no trouble. It's already on the table. All you got to do is come sit and talk to me. I don't want to eat your food. I said, well, i got enough for both of all of us. There are only two of us here, me and my wife. And I certainly got enough for a third person. No, sir, I don't, I don't, I don't want to interrupt your meal. Just give me a couple of dollars and get a ticket. I said, sir, I'll feed you, but I won't give you any money. That's right. That's right, too. That's right, too. I want to get the... Salisbury, I got to get to my mother. I said, well, if you'll come in and eat with us or sit here on the porch until we finish eating, I'll take you down to the bus station and I'll buy your ticket. He said, but my bus doesn't leave till 12 o'clock tonight. I said, well, come back at 11.30. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll get you where you're going. Bus station's right around the corner from where I live. Well, I'll be back at 11.30. I saw him the next Tuesday down on Liberty Street shooting dice with some of his friends. You see, these, these things challenge us every day. And, 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 and not all of them are as easy as that. Almost on every corner now you see somebody asking for something homeless or poor or this, that, and the other. And I don't know, some of them are and some of them are not. And I'm not going to tell you how to act. I'm going to tell you to follow your Christian conscience. Because whatever you do, you're going to manage to help some who don't need it and you're going to miss some who do. But God challenges us to be the best that we can be and make the best out of the situation that we can that we are in at the time. If I help somebody that doesn't need help, that's on them. But if I miss somebody that does need help, then that's on me. So I've got to deal with that the best God shows me how to deal with it in that situation. Our decisions are not always easy, but we have to do the best we can. So Peter and John meet this man at the gate just outside the church. Now, did the Jerusalem church members leave the man at the gate? If so, why did they leave him at the gate? Did non-believers bring him to the church? If so, why did they not carry him inside the church? You ever thought about that? You see, it challenges me because could it be that people can get more help outside the church than they can inside? 
remember one Sunday, I was preaching just like I'm preaching this morning, and there was a, a ruckus back at the back door. And, and Brother Wood, it disturbed me because I'm preaching. I can't, I don't know what's going on. I can't do anything about it. I got some ushers back there who's supposed to be keeping some order, but they just raised the sand back there at the back door. And I could hardly wait to get out of church to find out what's going on back at the church. And after church, I went back and I said to my head, I said, what in the world was going on this morning during service? He said, a drunk man stumbled in here. We tried to put him out. I said, but you see, uh, don't put him out. Bring him in. And so an elderly woman went back and grabbed the man and sat down with him and Every time he started mumbling, she'd pat him on the knees and son, be nice, be nice. And she tried to keep order because they wanted to put him out of the church. I don't know whether being in church that Sunday helped that young man or not. But I know it didn't hurt him. And one thing I also know is if and when church members become so sanctified sophisticated, righteous, and holy that sinners are not welcome in the sanctuary. We have become too good for God. Because those are the very people that Jesus came to seek and to save. And we sit up all smug and look down our nose at people who are less than we are when we ought to be embracing them and putting our arms around them and bringing them into the house of God. They've been out there all the time and been drunk long enough. Bring them in here. Get them drunk on the spirit. But we've spent so much time going to church and praying church after we got there that we have lost the power of the church to be the church. Have we become like Pharisees just praying three times a day and fasting three times a week? Or do we just walk around talking, saying holy things like praise the Lord, praise the Lord, every breath of our mouth? Have we just become windbags saying nothing, busybodies doing nothing, or Bible bigots believing nothing? In any case, Peter and John said, look on us. Notice he didn't say, look at us. Now, I know those of you who have these new translations, the NIV and the NLT and uh, those new translations, they say, look at us. But I read from the King James because I wanted to say, look on us. Because I prefer that. It says, look on us. Look beyond who we are until you can truly see whose we are. Do not look at what is on us, but try to see who is in us. Lord, have mercy. Pay no attention to how we look, but concentrate on what we have. Do not consider what we can give to you, but think about what we can do for you. Don't just see us, try to see him who sent us. See him whose we are. See Calvary. See the cross. See the Savior. See his suffering. See his sacrifice. See his blood. See his healing. See his deliverance. Look on us. See Jesus. 
And then he said, we don't have what you want or what you're asking for, <laughs> but we have something better. Lord, have mercy. If we give you what you want or what you are asking us for, you'll still be right back here tomorrow sitting at this same gate begging again. But if we give you what we have, you will have no need to sit here begging anymore. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Not in Peter's name, not in John's name, not in the name of James Ballard or Nathaniel Wood or, or, or Fred Webb or Mary Hagee, but in the name of Jesus, not in the name of St. Augusta, Basil Creek, St. Mary's, First Baptist, Second Baptist, Third Baptist, or New Providence, but in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up! Rise up! Rise up! Rise up and walk. Now look, look at this. I'm talking about being the church now. Being the church. What did Peter do? Peter reached down and caught him by his right hand. Lord him. And what? Lifted him. Lifted him up. Listen, church. Look at it. Look at it. He did not leave all of the work to God. He did not leave the labor to be performed by the struggling lame man. He did not assign the task to someone just who happened to be standing by. He did not just toss the man a dollar or a quarter and say, so long, good luck, see you later, have a good day, be blessed. But with his own hand, by his own power, Peter reached down, stretched it out, picked the man up. Now, I'm about through now. But Peter's action elicited an unusual testimony from the man who had been lame. Look at it. It's right there in the book. He did not just say, praise the Lord, help me, Jesus. He did not just say, thank you, Jesus. He did not walk off, go home, and act ungrateful as so many do, and go off and act, act holier than, that, than he actually was. The text, the text tells us that the man jumped up, leaping, and praising God. He shouted all the way into the temple. I want you to notice that especially. That struck me deeply. Notice the direction of his praise. He did not get happy in church and shout his way out. <laughs> he got happy outside and shouted his way in. <laughs> Lord have mercy. You see, you see, you see, you see, he went into the church leaping, jumping, shouting, and praising God. The one who had been witnessed to by the church outside the church had now become a witness to the witnesses inside the church. <laughs> Lord have mercy. When is the last time? When is the last time? 
we excited someone with what we did, not what we said, but with what we did in the name of Christ. Being the good, the true church is our trust. Our purpose is Christ. Our power is Christ. Our product is Christ. Just give people Jesus. That is what the church was established to do, and that is what the church exists to do. Bring people to Jesus and bring Jesus to the people. If you just do that, then you've done your job. Often, if we just give people Jesus, it will take care of so many other things. For the lame, it may be walking. For the blind, it may be seeing. For the deaf, it may be hearing. For the dumb, it may be speaking. For the lonely, it may be companionship. For the mentally disturbed, it may be peace of mind. For the brokenhearted, it may be a kind word spoken. For the comfortless, it may be comfort. For the friendless, it may be friendship. For the hungry, it may be bread. For the thirsty, it may be water. For the lost, it may be the way. For the uncertain, it may be the truth. For the dying, it may be eternal life. Just give them Jesus. Give them Jesus. In other words, we must become the church so much so that our example, our influence, our witness will become so powerful that the unchurched will become churched and the out of church will come into the church and the weak church will become the strong church and the imitation church will become the trio church and the false church will become the true church. All we need to do is just give them Jesus. Being the church ought also be our testimony. Jesus said, as my father sent me, even so send I you. How did Jesus' father send him? Jesus said his father sent him in the, in the spirit to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captive and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set in liberty them that are bruised and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Being the church will certainly be our salvation. For the true church on earth is nothing less than the extension of the kingdom of God and an outpost of heaven. So when we come into the judgment, when at long last we stand before God and all of his holy angels and give an account for all that we have done or failed to do in the earth, God is not going to ask you what church you belong to. God is not going to ask you how many ministries you performed in the church, how hard you worked in the church, how good the song was that you sang in the church, how beautiful the sermon was that you preached in the church. That's not what God is going to ask you. But when you get to heaven, if you get there, God is going to ask you, I was hungry. Did you feed me? I was thirsty. Did you give me something to drink? I was lost. Did you look for me? I was broken. Did you heal me? I was bruised. Did you put anything on my bruises? When my mate walked out on me, did you walk out also? Just because you didn't have time to be the church. That's what he's going to ask you. And when he asks you, what's your answer going to be? What can it be? What ought it be? What must it be? Will it be? I went to church. 
or I was the church. We know that you have been blessed through the hearing of God's Word on this day. We invite you to join us at New Providence Missionary Baptist Church, located at 4813 Hilltop Needmore Road, Fuquay, Varina, North Carolina. For more information, you can contact our ministry at 919-552-3531 or visit our website at www.NewProvidenceBaptist.com. Thank you for joining us and be blessed.